This is the Annex, a sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from the City University of New York. Today, we talk to Ying Yi Ma from Syracuse University about her new book, Ambitious and Anxious, How Chinese College Students Succeed and Struggle in American Higher Education with Columbia University Press. Our discussion was recorded on August 12th, 2019. All right, we're here with Ying Yi Ma. Ying Yi is a sociologist at uh, the Maxwell School at Syracuse University and also director of Asian and Asian American Studies there. And she has a new book, Ambitious and Anxious, How Chinese College Students Succeed and Struggle in American Higher Education. Thank you very much for coming on with us, Yingyi. Thank you for having me. So tell us about the book. What's it about? The book is trying to portray this new, relatively recent phenomenon of a new wave of Chinese undergraduate students, uh, largely self-funded, coming from the, I would say, the new, newly transformative China to study in the United States. Can you walk us through sort of your, your methodology? Who did you talk to? Who did you follow? Sure. I carried a mixed method study, which includes an online survey and also an in-depth interview with 88 students. And these students, I talk with them when they're studying in American higher education. I also carried out field work in nine Chinese high schools uh, in China to understand how they're getting prepared to study abroad. And, and tell us about the Chinese students' experience here in American higher ed. What's it like for them? What are the positives? What are the negatives? Well, the purpose of my research is really trying to move beyond this pretty unidimensional coverage of this new wave of Chinese international students in the press. Huh. And this is actually one of the motivations of my book. I am finding the coverage. There is a lot of media attention on this population. Mm-hmm. And uh, the attention has been on their wealth, on their a lot of um, cheating, uh-huh. uh, sometimes academic uh, plagiarism, and on the mental health issues. So, so the media coverage is negative. largely negative. Yeah. So as sociologists, you know, I am disappointed and unsatisfied with the media coverage on two grounds. Mm. First of all, it is very unidimensional, it's biased. Mm -hmm. So I want to portray a more balanced picture. Second of all, I want to have a more systematic investigation, even for the negative aspects, I want to understand why. So it's, uh, I would say, um, I would argue that to understand why you have to link where they're from, their cultural, social, academic backgrounds, Mm. which are deeply steeped in China, in the Chinese context, with their experience in American higher education. So I think that part, I would argue, is the primary contribution of my book. So let's start with the first thing. You said that there's a lot more heterogeneity among Chinese students than we realize. Can you flesh that out for us? Tell us a little bit more about that. Of course. So the heterogeneity um, in the book, I really focus on their class experiences. So majority of them are paying, are sort of full pay students. So on the economic grounds, I would say they're economically privileged. Mm-hmm. But the, what I want to get across in the book is there are a lot more heterogeneity among this population in terms of their economic backgrounds. So in other words, some some are from, you know, very wealthy family backgrounds. Some mm-hmm. are not. Some have parents who are nurses, who are elementary school teachers. Their parents are making huge sacrifices, even selling their apartments. Huh. 
to be able to send their kids abroad. Really? So that's the economic heterogeneity among them. And also in terms of their cultural heterogeneity, in terms of overall, I think this population has been the, you know, you're asking the negative aspects of it. It's, they're, they're actually struggling pretty socially and culturally in terms of their, they're, they're having a, a very challenging time in terms of social integration. Mm-hmm. And they're having, um, I would say, they suffer from the loss of uh, social status and cultural capital after they study here. From your subject's view, what are the big challenges of, of studying in the United States? Why is it hard? Yeah, I focus on academic and social challenges Mm -hmm. uh, in this book. And um, academically, the primary challenge is, I would say, learning style differences. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a chapter in my book uh, specifically addressing this question of why don't they speak up in classroom? Yeah. And there is a lot of emphasis in American higher education in terms of classroom participation across Mm -hmm. different fields. It's not just in social science, like sociology. It's, It's in business school where they're concentrated. There are a lot of emphasis on teamwork. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a lot of emphasis on presentation. And those parts are very much absent from their prior schooling in China. Hmm. So this is really in addition to language and cultural barriers. So it's just academic learning style differences. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the area that they're struggling most um, in terms of their academic studies. Okay. You know what else I, I often notice? This is, I used to be an ESL teacher and I, I teach at an institution with a lot of Chinese international students uh-huh. and immigrants. Uh, right. Truthfully, it's Queens. So you have some firsthand we have a lot. Um, experience and with I, them. I find a lot of American professors have difficulty differentiating being new to a language with intelligence. And sometimes there's a confusion about uh, people's struggle with learning a language, with the uh, quality of the thought underlying right. the students. Right. Is that a common problem, like where professors are impatient with language or unforgiving or not willing to scratch below the surface? Did you find well, any of that? I think there are heterogeneity among professors as well. Some okay. some Chinese students um, have very, very good impressions and interactions with their American professors, mm-hmm. and some do not. So uh, one of the things that I wrote in my book um, in terms of uh, policy implications is our faculty also need a lot of support, Mm -hmm. especially in the subjects where their classrooms are having a substantial number of Chinese international students. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them don't really know and don't really understand their backgrounds and their learning styles. So you actually mentioned a very important point that is a lot of uh, professors um, confuse the lack of communication skills with the lack of intelligence. And mm-hmm. some of the Chinese students, I think they have their internal lack of confidence as well. Right. Because of their language barriers, they're afraid of expressing their thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. But in this book, I really trying to move beyond. Language is, is a very obvious, apparent factor and or barrier here. Right. But barriers are really beyond in addition to language. So I emphasize two things. One is test-oriented education system they're from. Mm -hmm. So the test-oriented education system they're from in China pretty much wired them to look for the right answer because it's Mm -hmm. it's a test, right? Right. And they're pretty much socialized in the education system that is looking for the right answer. So that kind of mindset very much inhibit them from expressing themselves openly and spontaneously because they're afraid of making mistakes. Interesting. 
Interesting. So that's one thing that I think going beyond language. Mm-hmm. That's something I think you can find some studies about second generation immigrant children from mm-hmm. Asia, those test oriented kinds of uh, cultures like China, South Korea, and Japan. The second generation were born here. They don't really have language issues. Right. But they still exhibit some kinds of um, like behavioral. people would say, you know, they're shy or reserved. Mm-hmm. I think that part is relevant in terms of the socialization piece. And in addition to education socialization, there is a general cultural socialization in terms of not very much encouraging being the eloquent speaker. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very different kinds of culture. If you're looking at for example, political leaders in different countries. Mm-hmm. Here in the United States, it's very hard to win political offices, being the president, if you're a shy or reserved right. public speaker, right? Public speaking is really part of the curriculum. My son is a second grader. It's starting to have this kind of training. Right. But there's no such kind of training in China, very much so lacking. Very interesting. So in terms of teaching and what we professors can do, if you were to give us some simple guidelines or items to think about, you know, ideas about how to make our classrooms more accommodative of, of Chinese uh, students, what should we do? Well, you know, there's some simple things we can start with. One of the things is it's actually something that I came up with during my own teaching. I, a couple years ago, I was invited to teach a summer school in China where I was facing a group of students who, unlike my American students, when I was raising the same kinds of question, there's a dead silence. Mm-hmm. So I came up with the strategy of letting them write for a few minutes first, let's say just three minutes. And then I would ask them volunteers or I code call their names to share their written answers with the class. That is a tremendously helpful. And then I use that kind of strategy to American classroom. Guess what? It works like magic yeah. in terms of equalizing the speaking field. Because mm-hmm. in American classroom, you also have some kinds of uh, differences driven by personality and style, sure. right? Some, some classrooms are always driven by some vocal students. So if I ask them to write first, mm-hmm. And then those students who are relatively shy, who are relatively uh, quiet, they're actually more willing to share their answers because they have something to fall back on. They can read what they they wrote. And overall, the quality of classroom participation is actually better, more thoughtful answers than, you know, very much knee-jerk, spontaneous kinds of uh, reactions dominated by a few vocal students. So I would say, quick write and then speak kinds of a session would be very helpful. It's like a very practical life skill anyways, right? Like something they could actually yeah. use. Yeah, and then for teamwork, for example, I would encourage American faculty to assign groups instead of um, let students form their own groups. Mm. For international students, a lot of them, if you let them form their own groups, you know, chances are they're gonna form their own groups or they lose the education opportunities to learn from students that they are not their friends. Right. So it's gonna encourage more of a diversity in the group setting. Wonderful. In other words, I, th- I think a lot of American professors, um, they're coming from this perspective of respecting students' autonomy and freedom and giving students choices to form their own group end up with the deprivation of learning opportunities, especially for international students and minority students. So let's switch gears. Let's talk about the social aspects. Yeah. What are the big social challenges? I think one of the uh, major messages I want to come across in this book is the lack of social integration on the part of the students. Mm. 
is not equivalent to the lack of desire.、Mm-hmm. So. On surface, I think that's what the media coverage is all about. That's、uh, what a lot of American professors or administrators are having this kinds of impression: is these students are pretty much segregated. They're、mm-hmm. in their own groups, and they do not really show interest in reaching out、mm-hmm. and beyond. To make American friends, for example, but my studies show that、uh, some students are pretty successful, but a lot of students showing a very strong desire, but they're unable to move、mm. beyond their own groups. So in the end, my conclusion is they need systematic institutional support、mm-hmm. to help their social experiences more successful, and in this case, making more. Friends from diverse backgrounds, the institutions cannot take the sink or swim approach,、right. which they often do. This、yeah. very individualistic kinds of approach to let students take their own initiatives. That always matters the the individual personality differences. But I think the institutions need to be more proactive. Now, have you seen any type of institutional programs that you thought worked well, or is it something that we need to develop? Well, this book has not really done much institutional level、okay. analysis.、Um, I do include students from a lot of diverse types of institutions.、Mm-hmm. Some students from women's colleges, for example, they have very, very successful experiences,、huh. largely because they're very small,、mm-hmm. and and those kinds of colleges historically are pretty good at promoting. Institutional platforms、mm-hmm. for supporting students from marginalized backgrounds. So, for example, you know they're able to provide international students support in a very systematic way and sustainable way、mm-hmm. that a lot of other institutions fail to do. A lot of institutions are just doing orientations and then、mm-hmm. they stop. Right. But they need to do more sustained kinds of services on the. Institutional platform, like for example, the buddy system. Right. For example, encouraging students to join campus organizations, and my survey analysis shows that is a big booster for friendship. Very interesting. Yeah. When did you stop collecting data? Is it something you're still in contact? I guess as the director of the Asian and Asian American Studies, you're still sort of up on issues that affect Asian Americans. Yes. How is the current political environment、yeah. affecting them? I, I mean, I, I regularly hear that students are now being accused of being spies、yeah. and things like that.、Yeah. Are you seeing it having an effect? Is it something that you know most people aren't aware of? Or yeah, so my data collection ends before the spy accusation, but、yeah. I did write about it in the book. Oh, okay. The、uh, my data collection specifically ends around 2017. It's、okay. definitely after the Trump election. Right. So it is. Absolutely, having the intimidating effects.、Hmm. Some students、uh, went back home. Really, after graduation, even though they they initially wanted to stay at least for a while to look for job opportunities,、sure. and specifically at the level of policy, the H one B visa、mm. shortage is in crazy amount of shortage right now, and a lot of students were、um, having extremely difficult time. Even if they have a job offer in hand,、mm-hmm. they could not really get the working visa.、Huh. So it's a lottery system. It's a mess, and it's a pain for a lot of students. Because they do want to have some work experience here, that's gonna.、Uh, a lot of students actually decide they do want to return to China permanently, but、mm. some working experiences, even temporarily, in the United States, will help them be more competitive in Chinese labor market. But they cannot do that because of the visa restraint. 
they can be very competitive. I uh, my experience has been we can get tremendous talent from China. Yeah, like really outstanding talent to the point that you're saying, wow, you know. We get kids where I'm like, you know, wow, like these kids are as good as anything I saw in the Ivy League. Yeah. And they're just, you know, happy to be in Flushing or whatever. I'm thrilled to be teaching them. International students? International students. We get a lot. And it's just the talent is immense. Like there's a gold mine of talent. Yeah. Uh, and largely because that's also going back to my initial questions in terms of like why do they want to come here to study it's really you know the education sector in china is really ultra competitive yeah ultra competitive so in other words some of the students you see they're so talented they may not be able to win in the race in the <laughs> chinese education system really seriously wow so that's why a lot of them still i mean in this current climate there's so much fear there's so much anxiety mm -hmm. still the enrollment is high syracuse university my home institution is having 600 students for the first year wow coming so the demand is huge mm -hmm. so you know a lot of people knowing that I'm I'm writing about this topic so they're asking me you know do you think whether this trend will stop do you think you know we're going to have no chinese students coming or fewer I don't think so honestly no. um, because there's just a, such a high demand for quality higher education that chinese higher education system simply could not really meet I think if we get less students it's a big loss for us I really do because we're getting tremendous talent and a lot of them stay and it's almost like it's it's incredible. So and a lot of stay in New York City because there are a lot of job opportunities here. That's it. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's a it's an amazing cause. Thank you so much for talking to us. That's Yingyi Ma, a sociologist from Syracuse University and a director of the Asian and Asian American Studies program. Her new book with Columbia University Press is Ambitious and Anxious, How Chinese College Students Succeed and Struggle in American Higher Education. Thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. You've been listening to The Annex, a sociology podcast. A special thank you to Yingyi Ma from Syracuse University. Her book is Ambitious and Anxious, How Chinese College Students Succeed and Struggle in American Higher Education with Columbia University Press. We're on the web sociocast.org slash annex on twitter at socianex and on facebook the annex sociology podcast our producers are Lisette Moreno, Jaylene Colon and Fazia Mohammed. I'm Joe Cohen thanks for listening <laughs>